You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ho-ho! Welcome back. It is Broadcasting the Boys right here. On the blogging the boys network, Roy White, Ari Temkin, Roy White on Twitter at RW3. I am Ari Temkin on Twitter at Ari Sports. And Roy, you look like you got into a fight with a bear today. Did you get into a fight with a bear? What happened to your eye? It's been a fun week. Um, actually got into a fight with my internet service <laughs> provider. Uh, it got a couple of good shots in, but I won ultimately. <laughs> of course. It's always and, uh, an effective means to getting your internet back. Just just punch him in the face. That's how it works. No, a, a lot of that was just trying to get the aggression out from what I saw take place on the football field on Sunday. Um, three <laughs> quarters. All them up for sport. Three quarters of feeling like I wanted to ram my head uh, into my coffee table, followed by about 10 minutes of pure jubilation. And the thought process that this might actually be possible. And then an Odell Beckham end around that literally tore my soul out of its body and has everyone in Cowboys Nation questioning everything they thought they knew coming into this season. I would love to see what it would look like to literally tear your soul out of your body. Well, if you'd have been watching me when that play took place, um, you'd have seen it happen. If you go back and watch the video, though, you might actually see the soul leaving Jalen Smith's body because I don't know how else I would describe the effort that he put forth on that play. Well, the worst part was the kick prior to that play where I'm not really sure what exactly Greg Zerline was doing uh, after – the game or on Monday, some point, Mike McCarthy was talking about, well, I mean, we we wanted him to do what he had what he did the previous kick, which is like kind of set up the watermelon kick to make it look like you're gonna do an onside kick and then kick it deep. But instead he just kicked it intermediate. It was just a very just it was just a weird, weird deal. It was a weird, All right. deal. weird deal. Everybody hated that play. And I'm not gonna sit here and defend the way a ball bounced, but I do you think the way that it bounced straight into the end zone from the point that it made contact with the turf, I was surprised that it continued to roll the way that it did. I thought at some point that football had a chance to check up. And if it ever did, the Cowboys had a legitimate opportunity to recover that thing. Am I wrong? It was five Cowboys on one when the ball did ultimately end up crossing the goal line. Okay, yeah, so you're talking about you're you're talking about the like the successful watermelon deep kick, the one prior to the unsuccessful short watermelon 
kick that ended up going, um, ended up leading to the, the game we touched. You're talking about the, the one before, right? Okay. Yes. I'm talking about the one before. My apologies. I no, yeah. So that, so yeah, I mean, totally thought that they had an opportunity to recover that. And, um, yeah, it would have been, would have been incredible. Um, I mean, and that's, I think, like, part of being good on special teams is confusing people and doing things that they don't see often and so they're unfamiliar with it. That was kind of the Falcons' deal. It was like they didn't really know what to do. And, yeah, and that kick, I'm not sure anybody knew what to do with that, and it ended up going to the end zone. But then the one after, they, they were trying to do the same thing, but instead it was the short, it was like a squib kick, and then that's what basically led to the game when he touched him by Odell Beckham Jr., in which your soul literally left your body or was ripped from your body or ripped limb from yeah, limb. Yeah, and, like and I think, I mean, it, the watermelon kick is so difficult, right? He made it look so perfect and so easy. Uh, you have to hit that ball in such a precise spot to get it to spin like that, right? I just think that was a – it just felt like a mishit. I think they wanted to do the same thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, and like you said, it just was a mishit. And that's a, I mean, that's a tough thing to do. We take it too much for granted. I, re- I think I heard Chris Collinsworth say at one point about a kicker earlier this season, well, this guy's amazing at onside kicks. And it's like, what are you basing that on? That he gets his team to recover 5% of them? Uh because that would still probably be above the league average, which would therefore make him a good onsides kicker. But ultimately, it it's not really a skill set that you would bank on. Mm-hmm. And I think in this instance, you're not gonna be able to bank on a watermelon kick every week. I think that's a pretty that's a given. Yeah. No, you're right. All right. So the big stories today involve. Audio. Um, so let's start with Xavier Woods, who caught some flack on Wednesday for saying this. My effort's been good. I mean, in certain plays, uh, certain plays, some guy, uh, I mean, me included, uh, it may be a lack, but overall, the effort is there. Uh, I mean, you don't expect, I mean, we're in the NFL, you don't expect guys to full speed for 70 plays. Uh, that's, not, that's not possible. But um, we're going to push, push. Push as hard as we can. Uh, I mean, we know you can't. You don't expect the backside corner to go make a play on the opposite side. Uh, he he running full speed the whole time. It's just this is not possible, to be honest. But yeah. All right, your your thoughts on that? Um, listening to it, you can tell what he's trying to say, and he's right. A backside, you know, DB is not necessarily pursuing a run or a stretch run that goes the opposite end of the field because in a lot of cases, by the time he gets to that end of the field, the player will probably have been tackled or will be long past a position where he could do anything about the play. Uh, I understand what Xavier's saying. And I can't expect any player to say anything in the media while also thinking to himself, how is this going to read? Yeah. But I do have to admit, when you read those comments, it sounds incredibly alarming, especially based on how this defense has played this season. They've been 
atrocious. And if there's any, any inkling at all, any suggestion that effort is somehow a part of why they've been so poor, it's a massive issue. Because up until this point, quite honestly, all anybody had been talking about was scheme. So while Xavier had a good point, and I understand what he's saying, it's almost, uh, excuse the political pun, but it's locker room talk. It's locker room talk. You keep that type of conversation, you keep those specific words, you keep those in the locker room. And you don't ever let those get out to the media because once they do, it's a wildfire that you're not going to be able to control. And that is what is ultimately going to happen with these comments. Do you expect guys to go full speed for 70 plays? I mean, no, I don't like, I understand what he's saying, right? Not every guy from the start of the snap for 70 plays is in full out sprint mode. It's not necessarily required from some guys in some positions, but even in the instance that, you know, pursuit is asked, uh, backside pursuit, that type of thing, it happens all the time in the NFL. Now, I'm not saying it's excusable, and I'm not saying it's something you can't be criticized for because we talk all the time about players and their motors, right? We wouldn't reference motor on a player. Right if we didn't acknowledge the fact that it takes a lot of gas to be able to go full speed for 70 plays and not every player can physically do it. There's not enough humans on the planet. Quite honestly, they can physically do it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny because I, I read it the same way. I do think a lot of people view it from a standpoint of, Things are not going well, and so I'm like – I think people view it as quitting. And yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's I think where people have a problem with it. I, and maybe when you see it written out versus hearing it, it's different. And that's, that's, that's a given. I mean it's a given. You, if you – it happens all the time. There's a miscommunication if you read a text versus like talking to somebody. It's just so hard to read so many different parts of communication without hearing it. But I could totally tell how some people would be like, oh, man, yeah, this team is quitting. That's what that, that's what that says to me. And I, 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 I'm on your side of this, of like, yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it's like the same thing in the NBA. I mean, it's, it's like if you think about it in the NBA, like there's no, there's no players in the NBA that are two-way players fully in, insofar as like you can't go full effort on defense and full effort on offense. Like if you're going to be a great defensive player, you're giving up something on offense. And if you're going to be a great offensive player, you have to give up something on defense. It's unrealistic to think that those guys are going to be able to go full speed, both sides of the floor, the entire game. And that's, it's just, I mean, he's 100% correct. And you're right. Whether we say it's like a motor that doesn't stop, whatever it is. I mean, yeah, there, there is, there is in sports in general, you do have to sort of ebb and flow with how much you're, you know, how much effort you're not effort, but how much you're giving on a given play or, you know, I mean, it's like, it's built into boxing. And I mean, think about that. It's like every sport has that. I mean, I guess I'd say it like this. When the spotlight is on you to make the play, you better be giving a hundred percent effort. Yeah. But there are certainly instances on a football field and within a game where your position is not really involved at all in the play 
specifically of what's going on. Now, in the case of what happened against Cleveland, when we can all see on tape that Jalen Smith is out of position, that Joe Thomas has overrun the tackle and basically taken himself out of the play, that guys are dogging it, well, it's going to become an issue specifically in those instances. Mm. And I'm not saying it's not worthy of being criticized because it absolutely is. Yep. But if you asked me if I thought this defense quit as badly as they've played, I've not looked at this team, looked at this defense one time this season and thought to myself, these guys have given up. They're not trying anymore. They're still trying. Yeah, don't don't mistake not, not a lack yeah, of talent not, for, for not, not trying. They're not doing anything, but they're trying. Damn it. So, okay, so on this front, here is – Here's Richard Sherman, and kudos to our boy R.J. Ochoa, of course, blog of the boys, for, for finding this quote from the Chris Collinsworth podcast with Richard Sherman. And Sherman, who has experience working in Mike Nolan's defense, here's him talking about Mike Nolan's defense. Like they've talked about, you know, his scheme is so complicated. Like it's so, it's so variable, you know what I mean, and so diverse. And people think that that means good defense, and it doesn't. You know, you don't have a foundation. You don't have an identity. So you have nothing to fall back on. So when things aren't going great, it's not like you have, hey, we can put the fire out with this. We're going to run this until we get things under control. It's just like a patchwork of, hey, we're going to keep throwing things at the wall and see what sticks. And when when you have that as a player, then you're like, okay, so you don't even know how we're getting attacked. Are we getting attacked as a cover two defense, a a man-to-man defense, a quarters defense, a cover three defense? Like how are they they attacking us because we're in so much nonsense? And so I think, I, I, you know, I don't know if changing the coordinators um, changes the way, they, the way they run their playbook, but if you change coordinators and they go back to foundational fundamentals of running a certain defense, then I think they, they'll have better results. But um, who am I? Who am I? That's a great end to it. <laughs> who was that? <laughs> who am I? He says at the end. It's so great. I, I believe on this podcast, as we're getting ready for the season, we were bringing up the idea of multiple fronts and there was some excitement level from one party. And then there was sort of a, a lack of excitement from the other party in terms of like, maybe it's a little confusing, maybe just be one and master that and then figure out the other one. And that, I mean, I think that's the root of this. You've got a, a overcomplicated scheme in a, in a, in the wrong year to be installing an overcomplicated scheme. Hmm. I don't think that's too far off. Uh, when you listen to some of the comments from Mike Nolan talking about the scheme and talking about what he expects of players, and he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said earlier this week when asked about what he kind of is looking for from his defense, he said, I'm not necessarily looking for what they are, but I'm looking for what they can be. Yeah. And a lot of times in this business of the NFL, you get criticized for what you are and i mean unfortunately the bill parcells adage is true you are what your record says you are uh you are what the statistics say you are to a certain extent and from a defensive standpoint that says the cowboys are amongst the worst defenses in the entire nfl 146 points given up in four games it's 36 and a half points yeah Say it again. 146 points they've given up in four games. It's 36 and a half points a game. Does it feel like more or less? 
it does kind of feel a little it's it's on pace to break the record all time by the way um however the 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 1981 Baltimore Colts gave up 533 points in 16 games and they had only given up like 100 and change after the first four weeks but last year's Dolphins gave up more points to the first four quarter four four well, games of the season the only thing that's going to save them from setting the NFL record in points scored is the fact that they have six games against NFC East yeah. opponents and those offenses all look horrendous we'll get into that here a little bit later support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L. V-A-N-29.com. But, um... Should they fire Mike Nolan? Dude! No! Of course not. Of course not. No. It's ridiculous. We cannot be talking about firing the defensive coordinator four weeks into a COVID-shortened season. And when I say a COVID-shortened season... That's not necessarily forecasting as to whether the season will be shortened, although that's a conversation that we may very well be having a week from now, Ari. But what I mean is we're talking about a defensive coordinator that didn't even get the opportunity to work with his players on the checks, on the calls, in a preseason game. An entire coaching staff that hasn't really been able to work with their units at all during the preseason. The difference is the offense looks like they still know what they're doing. Why? Because they're still using the terminology from Kellen Moore. They're still having Kellen Moore call the plays. So it is familiar, but the defense is wholly unfamiliar. And to your point about being multiple, I think we all, myself included, got excited about the idea of players being able to do two things. Right. Not realizing necessarily that they first need to be able to do one of those things well (laughs) before we anoint them as being capable of doing both things at an NFL starters caliber level. Because up to this point, We've got a new Taco Charlton target on the defensive line. And I don't even want to say his name, but he's, it starts with the exact same letter. Uh, we've got a linebacker group that's in complete shambles to the point that fans are actually clamoring for the return of Sean Lee. And we've got a secondary who, quite frankly, outside of one rookie – 
none of us know who we can trust on a week-to-week basis. Xavier Woods, the guy you just played that cut from, included. He's absolutely included in that group that has wholly disappointed thus far. So, number one, no, they should not be firing Mike Nolan. And quite frankly, like, the idea that Nolan, like, McCarthy designed the defense and the schemes with Nolan, you know, like, the idea that, like, they're separate here is ridiculous. It's like the Jason Garrett line of thinking, you know, like, fire him because I, then I save myself. Like, Mike McCarthy, in, Mike McCarthy's as responsible for the defense they're running as Mike Nolan is. W- what I'll say is they knew what this offseason was going to be going in, right? In March and then April and then May, it was pretty obvious that what they were normally expecting to be in offseason wasn't going to be the case. So you simplify it. You cannot you, – you have to evolve. You know, I mean, re- look at restaurants. You know, restaurants during, during COVID-19 and in a, in a quarantine, like for a while there, they were like figuring out what to do. And then some evolved and made different business models and did different things in order to capitalize. Like that's, that's how this works. You can't I, – I hate – McCarthy continues to use the excuse of, well, I mean, look at the offseason and there's no training camp preseason. And it's like, yeah, I, I understand that. But then you have to adjust what you're trying to do schematically. So to but try to install. Know, but do we know what's so complicated about the defense? Do we, un, you know, it's, a, it's just asking a lot. And, and I think Richard Sherman provides some insights there where he's like, well, it's it's it. There's no identity of it. There, there's, there's no like at times of, you know. Sometimes we can laugh at the notion of identity, and I know Brian Broadus always laughs at that when I bring that up on the on the post game show. But it's like it's one of those things where it's like when the when the going gets tough, your identity is what you can default to or go back to when like we need to stop here. What do we do? Like what's our what's our what's our suicide blitz and NFL blitz? You know what I mean? Like what's our thing that we can do that we know we can hang our hat on doing? And that's what this team doesn't have. But again, what is that? Why do they not have it? Do they not have it because they don't have a plan to do it? Or do they not have it because they actually don't have the horses to be able to have it no matter the circumstances? The, the answer to that question is probably yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I like what you did there. Uh, yeah. On both fronts, I suppose. I right. suppose this could be simpler. But if you have the guys that can execute it or you have the guys that can – work within it it's not as much of a problem unfortunately everything they've tried to do and just this last week is an example because you saw uh darian thompson get pulled off the field after odell beckham's first touchdown of the game and donovan wilson took snaps at the second safety spot the rest of the game and mike nolan basically said afterwards well we thought donovan had been practicing really well and we wanted to give them an opportunity what that really says is they're throwing things against the wall to see what sticks because it they they've not got an answer in-house right now for any of the questions that they have on the defensive side of the ball Mm. i don't but i but i go back to i don't think that's mike nolan's fault necessarily i think the front office deserves some blame for that. No question. We, we saw an off season that not don't have any problem with let, letting Robert Quinn go. He was way too expensive. 
But we did see an offseason in which we saw one of the best cornerbacks this team has probably seen, certainly that this team has seen in the past decade, and they let him walk. And they let him walk because they had already committed big money in the previous two offseasons to the likes of Ezekiel Elliott and Jalen Smith. Yeah. Yeah, Byron Jones would be, uh, would be an important piece here. I mean, would he help? Would he, would he change the entire defense? No, he would not. Well, well, he would look, not fix it all. But So I, there is, like kind of like wide receivers, when you have a number one corner, it, it changes the dynamic of the rest of the corners. Like That's part of the problem here is it's well, like no, – But hold on. I mean, he ain't fixing everything in Miami. They got him and Xavier Howard, and that defense yeah. is still giving up 30 a game. Like we right. – you know, I, I, I would think this defense would be better with Byron Jones – but there's a lot of problems all over this defense. Is it fixable? Just one cornerback position. Is it fixable? In season? In season with what they have? No, it's not fixable. They've got to roll with what they got, and they got to continue to fight um, with, with the bullets that they have. I just know this, you know, great teams come along when they can match both a good to great offense with a good to great defense. What the Cowboys appear to me to be through four weeks of the season, granted, is a good to great offense with a bottom rung, scraping the bottom of the bottom of the barrel defense. And ultimately, the best that's going to get you is an average football team. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I said from the start that this team could win a Super Bowl if they had an average defense. And we still – our show hung our hats on that idea. Right. They just need the defense to be serviceable. It League even, average has is even scratched the, the surface of, of that, yeah. But here's the other thing, too, and this is, this is where they, it is fixable. Stop turning the ball over. Like, that's – there's two main problems with this team defense and turnovers and i would argue the turnovers are worse because the turnovers are putting the bad defense in a worse spot 146 points given up this year by the cowboys 45 of those points off of turnovers so the turnovers i mean you stop turning the ball over this much and you're fixing a mate is a considerably better team overall if you do that yeah 45 points uh about 11 points per game off of turnover and minus seven in the turnover differential if you give them all of that they could very well be four and oh at the same time if you take away a watermelon kick they could be going for it right right i still don't know if my aunt had an extra appendage she'd be my uncle (laughs) i admit i still don't know where the cowboys fall in the nfc uh i still think they're a playoff team I still think they're the best team in the NFC East. Well, yeah, but that's not much. That's not saying much. It's not. You know. It's not. But it is saying enough to get you into the playoffs. And with a little bit of luck from a health standpoint, look around the rest of the league, and it's not like there's a single team out there that's not dealing with the ramifications of a – shortened preseason injuries are at what seems to be an all-time high this early in the season 
I know that is just often a perception thing. And many people say that year in and year out, but I think of all the contenders in the NFC that I consider to be contenders, the New Orleans, Tampa Bay's, San Francisco's, uh, Green Bay's, and every single one of them is dealing with not one, not two, three, four, in some cases five significant injuries. There's still a lot of football to be played. Mm. Um, and I still, I still have hope that the Cowboys can turn it around. Again, they still have six games remaining against three of the worst football teams in the NFL. And that, in and of itself, can do wonders for your confidence level and can do wonders from a fan base perspective. Speaking of, the Cowboys are going to get Randy Gregory back at practice. He was back on the field at practice um, Wednesday, and he'll continue to uh, practice with the team. He, he, I believe, will be eligible to play in a couple of weeks, I think believe, I believe following the Cardinals game. So he's, he's still going to miss the next two games, but could return, I believe, after that. Leighton Vander Esch could return to the field as early as the Monday night game uh, against Arizona, and it looks like Anthony Brown will be back on the field Sunday against the Giants. So there is there's reinforcements coming here, getting healthier a little bit. But you always, I mean, it's always how it works. It's like you know, one step forward, two steps back with injuries. You know, you you, you get a guy back, and then you lose two other guys. It's just always how it works. It's football. You're going to deal with injuries, but at least that's some of the good news. All right, so the Giants on Sunday. The pregame show starts at noon. Myself and Brian Broadus on 105.3 The Fan. You're home of the Cowboys, and the postgame show to follow. Uh, the the fighting Jason Garretts. It's J, it's the Jason Garrett uh, first game uh, for Jason Garrett against the Dallas Cowboys. Re, a little revenge game here. I'm sure he'll want revenge. Uh, I don't know how he's going to get it. Um, <laughs> is he going to try to get it by running a halfback dive with the likes of Devontae Freeman and Wayne Gallman and well, Dion Lewis? You better believe it. Uh, I do believe it. I just don't believe it's going to be very effective, even against as porous a defense as the Cowboys have been. Again, I mentioned this last week. It's why I didn't feel like they had any pressure on them to win against Seattle, even though the Eagles wound up getting a victory against the San Francisco team that most people probably would have penciled in at the beginning of the season, not knowing that they were going to be completely devastated from an injury standpoint. They would have thought the Eagles were going to lose that game. So now we sit – the half a game behind Philadelphia in the NFC East. And I could understand there being a little bit of panic, but that Philly team looks atrocious. Their offensive line is more banged up than we are. And with Jason Garrett wanting some revenge on the Cowboys, I think there's just as much blood boiling on the defensive side of the ball and potentially on the offensive side of the ball that wants to stick it to Jason Garrett too. Is that crazy to think? I know, I know Dak Prescott and the offensive players were fans of Jason Garrett, but I do also think that when they search their own souls, they're willing to admit that at times he held them back. And it would be nice to think that they would take some solace, they would take some enjoyment from beating the absolute snot out of his football team. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It goes both ways. The Giants have scored 16 points, 13 points, 9 points, and 9 points. 
albeit against the Steelers, Bears, 49ers, and Rams. So good defenses. But remember, the 49ers beat them 36-9 to coming cross-country without their quarterback, without their starting running back, without um, uh, uh, Bosa. I mean, they, they're missing a ton of players in that game and still beat them like a drum, 36-9. So the offensive returns to start for Joe Judge and Jason Garrett in, in New York have not been very good. Well, and not to mention, you know, you said how bad this team has been from a turnover standpoint, the Dallas Cowboys we're speaking of. The New York Giants, if, if the Cowboys defense can't get turnovers against Daniel Jones, who has already thrown five interceptions and has, I think, three or four fumbles lost as well this season. He's been sacked uh, 14 times. If they cannot generate some turnovers against this man, then I'm willing to sound the alarm. We're officially a DEFCON 1, which I believe is the most dangerous DEFCON. Oh, it's, a, it's, a it's quite of, the DEFCON. A lot of people think it's 5, but that's a common misnomer, misconception. <laughs> DEFCON 1 is the maximum military readiness. Yeah, but five and is higher is, than five is higher than one. I don't even know that. No, it's not. It's not. No, no, I know, five but I'm just five. saying the number numerically, five is more than one. It is, and that's where the confusion often comes from. Understandable, logical, uh, wrong. Five, one. One, two, three, four, five. Five is more. So what's a DEFCON five? Just okay? Just like just yeah, I'm the Def Con, I'm DEFCON three at the moment, okay? DEFCON three is concerned. Uh, preparing for future endeavors that could be challenging, but not resigned to the fact that it is going to be horrible. DEFCON 1 is acknowledgement that everything around you is burning and you're just going to do what you can to try to put out the fires directly in front of you. <laughs> and that's they, where we'll be if, if the Cowboys wind the up Giants. losing to the Giants. Yeah, they're beyond DEFCON 1 if they lose the Giants. They're DEFCON 0 at that point. All right, you know what? I said I wouldn't fire a defensive coordinator this early in the season. Five if they weeks. lose to the Giants, week five, I'm fine with it. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. I Cowboys, take Cowboys and Giants, a matchup very much uh, fitting of the 325 kickoff on Sunday. Uh, should be a fun one. Fingers crossed. Roy White on Twitter at RW3. I am Ari Temkin. You can find me on Twitter at Ari Sports. And, of course, make sure to be uh, checking out blogoftheboys.com each and every day. It should be your homepage where you go every day. Check out all the latest and greatest news on the Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, make sure to subscribe and give us a rating uh, because we've got a, pl a plethora of fantastic podcasts across this great network, the Blogging the Boys podcast network. But for now, Roy, leave the people with something. Hey. Like Ari said, check out all the podcasts on Blogging the Boys Network. RJ does a fantastic job every day with uh, with his recap of things that are going down. And, hey, we got a lot of other great shows that are on here. So, please, check them all out. And let's bounce back with a win this weekend, huh, against Jason Garrett. Let's, let's clap it up, huh? Let's clap it up just in honor of our boy.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.